Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power by Rock podcast. We're going to be speaking with the, an alternative rock legend today, a Seattle icon, formerly of the band The Presidents of the United States of America, the man himself, Chris Ballou. I assume that's how you pronounce it, correct? That is Ballou? You did it right off the bat. No correction. Fantastic. This is this is one bad man when it comes to the world of rock music with multiple hit tracks, a multi-platinum record, and about 50 albums attributed to him over the last 30 years. That's almost two albums a year for 30 years. That's pretty good staying power. I'm yeah. endlessly fascinated by Chris, and I can't wait to discuss everything from his newest solo albums to his second career as a children's song creator to, well, whatever the hell he wants to talk about because I'm here to listen to it all. We'll crack the egg of his knowledge and drink the musical yolk right after this. You're listening to the Powered by Rock podcast with your host, Isaac Kuhlman. The Powered by Rock podcast was created to help showcase some of the best rock musicians in the world and to pass on to future generations the rock music that has inspired rock fans around the world for decades. We want listeners to be able to hear great stories and life experiences directly from their favorite artists, as well as dig deeper into music theory and talk rock like no other show you've ever heard. This isn't about looking cool. It's about getting real and having a great time. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Powered by Rock podcast. I'm truly an honor today as I have a guest that I've been one of my favorite musicians for pretty much my, most of my life, over 25 years now. I actually remember calling into those old phone services like Dial-A-Song or whatever it's called to let you listen to like 30-second clips. And I probably did that like over 100 times just to hear Lump when it first came out. So, you know, I remember having that when I was probably 11 or 12 trying to get into that. And that 1-800 or 1-800 number, whatever it was, probably got a lot of, uh, you know, little cents and, and 50 cents per whatever i did but uh you know i have rocked out to the music since i was in like seventh or eighth grade i'm pleased to bring on the show an og of the alternative rock sing a true uh, a scene or true rock icon chris blue yeah thanks for being here man this is awesome I, i'm pretty excited so you know i think a lot of people have probably kind of lost track of you since you know probably late 90s early 2000s after probably either the second or third president's album because you guys did go pretty independent um, after your, your Columbia deal expired and you got all your, you know, masters back and everything like that. But kind of let's talk a little bit about this because you over the last 10 years have actually had a second career as a children's song creator where you went by Casper Baby Pants and that was the moniker you had. And you did 19 albums in like 10, 11 years, something like that. So kind of explain to me, what does that meant to you and and how did this kind of come about in the first place? Yeah, it's kind of a, a weird story because I didn't decide to make kids music. Um, during the entire time that the presidents were, you know, kicking ass, or for lack of a better yeah. term, um, <clears throat> I had this funny sort of message that was running through my head or gut or somewhere. And it was saying, congratulations on all your success, but this is not your final destination. And I was like, really, little voice? Are you going to keep me keep me in the trenches, like, <laughs> working hard now that I've made it and I'm a rock star? And the little voice was like, yep, you got to keep on working. So I just had kept feeling this impulse that I had to search for something else besides the rock band. Um, some of that was, you know, musically, I have a very rich, um, uh, diverse, kaleidoscopic range of tastes. Sure. I like everything i like good songs i don't care what the genres are so the rock band we did some genre hopping for sure but you know the guitar bass drums vocal kind of thing are like primary colors to me uh to use a painting metaphor i wanted to use weirder colors more subtle colors and um so i think that was also an impulse to kind of search around so anyway i started searching around on the side i started forming and and breaking up bands on the side, making albums under different weird band names, trying different instruments, very disparate group of experiments. Um, And eventually after, it took like 12 or 15 years of me kind of um, experimenting to get to a point where I was playing quieter songs, more acoustic, kind of more innocent sounding. Still lyrically, I didn't have a real clear point of view. I just knew that it felt good to get small and simple as opposed to the loud, you know, rock band taking up all the bandwidth. Um, And then I met my second wife, Kate, and her artwork is this like world of, you know, collage, folk arty animals. They're bright. 
they're whimsical, but they're really well made, like really well constructed and very solid. Mm -hmm. And like you can tell she knows how to draw just by how she cuts out shapes. It's it, there's a there's something behind it that gave it kind of gravitas. And um, I was like, that's it. I want to make music that sounds like it comes from that planet. And yeah. so I sat down and recorded a couple songs inspired by her artwork. And then like, you know, it just shot through me like a, as Marlon Brando says in Apocalypse Now, like a diamond through the, <laughs> like a diamond. Um, just like a, just wham. I was like, oh, I should be making music for little kids. And yeah. I felt this absolute like light, like, ah, oh, that's what I've been searching for all this time. Part of it is I felt excited to make music in a genre that isn't about hits and it's not about convincing people you're cool. It's really like I decided early in that process to make it more in service to families. Sure. So as I made those albums, I thought, okay, what does a family really need? I used to imagine um, a family of five in a car in August, leaving Yosemite <laughs> National Park uh, in 95 degree heat. Everybody yeah. is hungry and tired and mad and they all have to pee. And you should be able to put in a Casper Baby Pants album. And the even in that terrible environment, the mood will lighten. So with that in mind, I would listen literally to mixing and I'd be like, okay, how's that family doing with this mix? Oh, that yeah. banjo is too much or that mandolin. Generally, it was the banjo and mandolin had to come out. But anyway, the point is, I really wanted to be in service uh, in a way that I think the rock band was too. We were in service to making everybody happy. But yeah. this is more of a focus, like how do I aesthetically engage a parent and a child and really not just pay lip service to that endeavor, yeah. really do this like hard work and the editing and the, uh, you know, creative work that is necessary to really make that happen. So yeah, it was exciting. I got back to my DIY roots with Casper baby pants. You know, it was more of a punk rock thing, you know, a little kid at a Casper show is more punk rock than <laughs> any punk rock show, you know, over the decades. I mean, I heard some of the stories where a kid yeah. turned, on, turned your amplifier off and other people will just kind of come up and mess with you while you're playing. Yeah. One time I was doing an outdoor <laughs> show and the uh, sound, and there wasn't really a barrier between me and the kids. I used to sit down on a stool and be near, more near their level. And I got oh, swarmed as I used to be with kids. And all of a sudden the sound went crazy, like feedback and everything. And I look over at the soundboard and there was a sound guy, but he was gone. And there was a little like, <laughs> wispy haired kid in just a diaper just like moving all the faders <laughs> so when does that happen at a punk rock show never yeah, that's pretty cool <laughs> so really bottom line it was about getting back to my roots um about using all the colors in my paint box because in that context of making music for kids i could genre hop and do all kinds of stuff but i could also include strings and or and keyboards and weird percussion stuff and um yeah. you know there was no, the sky was the limit, really. It was fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it was really just like about getting out of that sort of primary color palette and flexing my um, creative chops and being in service to families. Yeah. And I've, I've listened to the music. I actually, that was kind of, I kind of looked, you got you back up and, and a couple of things like about a year and a half ago, like, where are, where, where are these guys now? What are they up to? And I know that you guys released all the albums. I did not realize that you were releasing new solo albums because I think it was before that. And then I didn't realize that you had done the children's songs until I have an 18-month-old now and he's listening oh. to like Elmo Radio on Spotify or something. And all of a sudden, Casper Baby Pants comes up and I'm like, I know that voice. Like, I definitely know that voice. Yeah. That's the guy from the President's of the United States. Like, that's Chris Ballou. So, like, I look it up and I'm like, holy crap, he's got 19 albums of this stuff. I was like, that's crazy. I know. When so, I yeah. find found that chemistry and that purpose that wasn't about look at me i'm cool it was about really yeah. serving families um the floodgates just opened like crazy i mean i couldn't stop writing songs um i'm in another version of that now but we'll get to that but yeah i, I find that when i find my place uh creatively it's just a huge volume yeah. up comes out and then uh, and then maybe awesome. that peters out and then another one kind of pops up but yeah yeah <clears throat> so that's why there's so many records i just had to hold on for dear life and <laughs> all the songs out but eventually after 19 records i was like mm, that's it i think that's it i'm yeah <laughs> 352 songs and i'm done <laughs> yeah that's a pretty pretty you know gigantic amount of catalog for any artist let alone a 10-year yeah. span and there's no fat there's it's a lean I mean, I was ruthless with my songwriting. Yeah. 
I had my brother and a bunch of other people uh, help me really weed out the the weaklings. And so I don't believe in releasing mediocre stuff. At least I try yeah. not. So anyway, yeah, and we'll talk about that because I think the new albums that you've put out are awesome as well. But thank you. You know, obviously we should address the elephant in the room for those who you know might think the presidents were just like a flash in the pan. You know, hey, you got like two hits back in the nineties. Like, what happened to you guys? Like, I think that's a pretty unfair view because. You guys actually made music all together all the way up until 2015 had some awesome albums that a lot of people didn't realize were kind of released on, you know, either digital platforms or independent labels. Um, but the pro a lot of people are thinking like, whatever happened to those guys, can you yeah. just kind of, you know, you know, barely sort of, you know, basically go through the ups and downs and just kind of explain what happened, what, yeah. you know, why you were going up and why going down and, you know, just kind of give it like, you know, a five minute treatment real fast. Yeah. 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 Um, well, the presidents were just another in a long line of bands that I'd had with kind of a core group of people that different people came in and out. Some of the songs transferred from band to band. And so the presidents sure. kind of another in a long line. But the difference was I was living in Boston and New York uh, for eight years or nine years in the 80, mid 80s or early 80s to early 90s. And um, one day I woke up and I was like, what am I doing? I, I, I need to go back home. I need to go to Seattle. Yeah. And I went home and the joy of reconnecting with my hometown kind of informed, it was a new level of sort of um, emotion that I hadn't had when I was living on the East Coast or sure. before for college when I was kind of a forming songwriter. So I had this like, ah, I just want to share like this, feeling and so the the presidents became sort of a, a vessel for that joy you know yeah. which i hadn't had before and so i think that's why the song sparked and some of the songs had been like naked and famous and candy had been around for other bands and stuff but they didn't dave and jason and and my particular attitude kind of made it all kind of click yeah. and it was you know the songwriting was kind of like this innocent stuff but it was also innuendo there was like sexuality and yeah and kind of like how those two played. I didn't understand that at the time. I didn't understand the chemistry of what I was doing. To me, it was like painting a painting with my eyes closed and trying to do it again was really hard. So anyway, in that context, we got, we played one show. I mean, we played a lot of shows, but one of our shows, it turned out, had seven major label reps at it. And wow. I didn't know that that was the case. I didn't know it was a big deal. We just did our wacky show. And the next day we had seven major label record offers. And so... <laughs> We had to go from really quickly from like hanging out with our friends all afternoon, smoking pot and doing a barbecue and playing free <laughs> and going to the local club and playing a show to running a global enterprise, you know? Yeah. So very quickly we split <clears throat> into three factions. Dave, our guitar player, learned how to read contracts and negotiate yep. deals. Jason took care of late night PR. He would get drunk until the dawn with the people we had to impress. And you know, of course, played great drumming, drum. Yeah. Art. He was a great drummer. Um, I took care of creative, like coming constantly with new ideas and stuff like that. And, you know, our, our duties spilled over here and there, but really we were like a three headed Hydra. So, and we decided, okay, we're going to do this lean. We're going to like, we're not going to waste all of our money getting tour support and having a big fancy bus. We did a bus tour a couple times and we're like, eh, too much. So we were a van band mainly. And, um, it was a fantastic ride, you know, like this huge sense of validation. We had all these important people in suits in New York telling us we were great songwriters, you know, <laughs> kind of blowing smoke. Uh, we could, yeah. you know, we could feel that too. But also there was a, on the other end of the spectrum for me, inside me, I was feeling very weird about the whole thing. Like yeah. I come from a DIY punk rock world and this whole hitching our pony to a major label, um, felt weird felt kind of unnecessary and we kind of came up with this idea let's try to promote the band on a national level somehow without appearing to promote the band on a national level yeah. so we got <clears throat> little amps and guitars and we went around we spent all of september of 1995 like flying two or three times a day to different cities to play at one-stop record distributors to play at record stores to play at radio stations to just like pepper the people that were the gatekeepers at the sure. time with good vibes. Like we'd stand on a on a desk in a, a boardroom at a <laughs> record plant, a record warehouse and play a rock show on a table. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. It was super fun. And it totally worked. We got all this. Take support. notes, everybody in an in up and coming band. Yeah. Well, I don't know <laughs> if you do 
do that now. I mean, it's a whole different world. I mean, yeah. the gatekeepers are people who make playlists on Spotify. So yeah, exactly. You go play a different. Yeah, yeah. Well, go go the- find their house and stand on their kitchen yeah. table and play a concert. Exactly. <laughs> so with that, you know, I felt this weird kind of uh, conflict. I was like very satisfied and happy that we'd been uh, acknowledged and we were making money and we were playing for giant crowds. But I also felt like this is not safe. This is not tenable. I, f- I felt like metaphorically I had gotten into that room that I'd always imagined in my mind, like a velvet rope and a door. And it's like, get in there when you're famous. And there's all this, you know, everything's fine. And the, your hard work is over and everybody else who's famous is in there. But when I metaphorically got in that room, I noticed, wait a minute, there's another door and it goes to another room and it goes to another door and another room and another door and another room. Yep. And I will always have to be sort of, proving myself and under pressure, you know? Yep. And I just was like, I don't, I don't want that. But I, I was, you know, I'm a people pleaser. It's why I make music, but it's also what makes me say the opposite of what I really need sometimes. So yeah, <clears throat> I rode the whole arc of the president's kind of feeling this like, ah, I, I want out, I want out, but outwardly appearing to be the guy. And I was good at it. It was great. I could totally manage the two, but eventually I went to a band meeting in 1997 and said, you know what? I first order of business, I quit. <laughs> yeah. And um, there was some relief among all of us, but you know, it was kind of sad. And I'm, I, I regret doing it so bluntly and not really having a dialogue with those guys about it before uh, I, you know, uh, dropped the guillotine. <laughs> yeah. Played. But um, <clears throat> we did a last show in January of 98. It was fantastic. And then we were broken up for five years. But during that time, we made a digital or a uh, kind of, uh, I don't know what it was. It was, uh, wasn't was digital at the time. We made physical copies, but it was yeah. like a, a weird album. It was, well, it was called Freaked Out and Small. Yeah. And it was playing all of our songs, my songs that were written on four string bass and six string guitar that didn't translate to the two and three string thing that we did in the President's. So it was like a clearinghouse thing. It's a long story how we set that up, but it was with a company called Music Blitz and it was supposed to be under the radar, a total diamond in a dog poo that somebody would find and be like, what, what is this? But Music Blitz turned it into they're reunited and this is their comeback album and yeah. served, served all the, you know, radio stations and stuff as if, as if this was our comeback record, which it was not, yeah. which haunt us later in 2004 when we actually did make Love Everybody, which was our real record to, you know, say, here they are again. And yeah. all the radio stations and stuff were like, no, no, no. We heard your weird comeback record. We're not giving you any, any bandwidth. We're like, ah. So yeah. anyway, during that five years, we made that record, and uh, which I love, by the way. And we formed a band with Sir Mix-a-Lot called Subset. So we were yeah. like working together and creative and all that stuff, but just not as the band, you know. Technically, yeah. we had to break up in order to get out of our major label recording contract. I mean, like I called the president of Columbia or our guy at Columbia and just said, Hey, we broke up. And he's like, you're done. See ya. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, yeah, it turns out they don't really care about your, uh, what you're not doing for them anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's a well-worn, uh, meme or headline, you know, yeah. maybe the label doesn't care about you as a person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Film at 11. Um, <laughs> but, uh, we so we got back together in 2004 because of Chris Novoselic. He invited us to be his backing band at a NARIS National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences event where he was being honored. He needed a band and he wanted us to show up as the presidents and back him up. And we did some covers, we did a couple of his songs. Yeah. And that was the first time we all looked at each other after five years of being apart and went, Yeah, this is an interesting reason to call ourselves the presidents again. And that kind of got us together in the rehearsal space. And then we started saying, wow, these songs are fantastic. We just got lost in the weeds of the minutia of being successful. Yeah. Songs are, are like shining diamonds, man. Let's, let's share them with people. So we started doing shows and uh, it was like being in the world's greatest president's cover band, you know, <laughs> all the, all the like emotional. They even look like them. <laughs> yeah. We look like them. We sound like them. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we uh, got back together and it just felt really cool and easy. And we started doing a show here and there. We did some college yeah. shows. And anyway, that ramped up into making Love Everybody in 2004. Uh, that was New Year's Eve 2002 is when we got back together. 
Love Everybody came out in 2004. Right after that, Dave Dieter, our guitar player, was like, he kind of felt, I think, like I did in the 90s. Yeah. Um, but just the mechanics of being away from home and his kids and sure. his world, uh, he just like, I can't do it anymore. So we got Andrew McCaig. Um, it was a big thing. Jason and I were like, all right, we got, you know, a lot of options for guitar players, but who's going to be comfortable playing Dune Buggy? Yeah. Because <laughs> like, Dune Buggy is such a funny, weird little, you know, yeah. song and like, that was the litmus test is like who who can who can rock out and have chops but also can play this stupid little song about uh spiders driving a car <laughs> um, we found andrew who we'd all known for years he's he'd been around and um he was willing to do it willing to play a three string he's an amazing six string guitar slinger but uh he was willing to like dave a great guitar player on the six string but was willing yeah. to hog tie himself with a three string so um, yeah that was another requirement. Um, yeah. Yeah, we got Andrew and then we did another th uh, 13 years or, or I guess, what was that? 2004. We did another 11 years with Andrew. Yeah. Um, and we did a lot. We made uh, two records with Andrew and toured all over the world and played festivals again and, you know, yeah. got to do all the stuff we did in the 90s, but without the emotional baggage so yeah and the pressure and the, yeah. the, the recording studio down your back or whatever but i was still that was during the time i was still on the hunt for what became casper baby pants and then yeah. once casper baby pants clicked in 2008 uh presidents were we met also made a record in 2008 and i was doing both for about six years and it was workable but i was doing i did like hundreds of shows a year as casper and like yeah you know, maybe 30 shows a year as a president. And you were managing that all yourself, booking it, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. With Casper, for sure. I was doing everything. Um, and then Casper got more and more successful and the venues got bigger and bigger. And pretty soon I was like, well, the pre I think the president's arc has arced. I mean, yeah. in my mind, I think bands should be together like, you know, a college experience, four years, you know, <laughs> sophomore, junior and senior year, and then you graduate. Yeah. Um, so, but this time I gave, Dave and Andrew, I'm sorry, Jason and Andrew, about three years notice. I, yeah. I said, every time I get on an airplane, it's for you guys. I don't want to go anymore, but I'm going to do it. I'm a pro. We have shows booked and everything. I'm not dropping you like a hot potato, but yeah, in three years notice and then drop the, drop the hatchet. And, um, yeah. and when our last show was just another show, it was a festival in, uh, uh Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Nice. And, uh, no, I, it's a little unfair to them. I, I kind of screwed up again. I didn't tell anyone it was the last show. I just knew it in, inside. Yeah. And then I called them a couple of days later and was like, all right, that was it. I don't know. We did a big last show in 98 and I just felt like this time would just like, you know, turn off the light switch and yeah, quietly like recede. Into like the last episode of Cheers or something. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Flip the switch. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's kind of the arc. Uh, and awesome. Hopefully that does the trick. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of clarify for anybody who doesn't know a couple of the references you made. So Chris Navaselic, former bassist of Nirvana, right. big big musician in, in Seattle still to this day, uh, yep. been doing solo since then. Physically big. He's a big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like six five, <laughs> six six, something like that. He's a big uh, Dune buggy. I wanted to mention was actually ever since I started like listening to your new stuff, that song has been stuck in my head every single day, and I'm like. I haven't heard that song in probably 15 years. And I'm like, little dune buggy. And I'm like, I just cannot get it out of my head. Now that is interesting because that is a, a dynamic in songwriting that I call generosity. Like, is this song generous? Meaning, could you hear it and then walk away from it and not hear it again for years and yep. still have the gift of the melody? Yeah. I look at it as a gift. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Like, like you have so many other songs. I mean, Peaches is worldwide famous. Lump is pretty famous. And, you know, the other songs on that album, I, I would always just sit there and be like fascinated. I'm like, he's literally painting a picture of like a little bug moving around, doing something, whatever. And I'm like, that's incredibly, you know, observant, observant, but also musically so creative. I've never heard anything like that. Yeah, it's a real so, memory. When I was a little kid, I lost, it actually was a police car, a matchbox mm -hmm. police car. It went down a heat register and got stuck like just about six inches down where the pipe uh, curved. And one day I was messing around. I don't know why I used to like to look down into the empty heat registers in the house. And I took off the cover and looked down and there was my, my matchbox police car. And when I took it out, there were two spiders in the front seat, <laughs> their arms over the back of the seat. Like, you know, the two, like uh, Adam 12, the two like 
cops in the old fashioned cop car. And that faded yeah. into a dune buggy because uh, it just sounded better. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty bug, cool. Dune buggy, bugs buggy. So, yep, yep. Exactly. Like a double entendre. There. In, in my mind, I wrote when I wrote Dune Buggy, I really saw a picture. And that's actually a lot of what I did with Presidents and Casper. Less so now with this new stuff. But it was like seeing a hilarious picture or seeing a character yeah. that anthropomorphized and then just describing it in the lyrics. So it could be yeah. decoded kind of like a radio show or a radio play or something like here's the picture. Yeah. Very Orson. Was it Orson Welles? Or was Orson, it Orson Welles. Welles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 War of the Worlds. Yep. <laughs> Without the mass hysteria, but mm -hmm. I, I digress. Well, I, I know, you know, you want oh, yeah, in the opposite direction, I guess, in the pleasant mass hysteria. Right, right. Say. You want like Beatles at mass hysteria, right? Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into the new solo music, because I think that yeah. this is as good as anything you've ever written. And I, I mean, you've released three albums now in in literally one year because you started working and you said, I'm going to release July, January, July, January every yeah. year for the foreseeable future. So July first one came out last year, January right. this year, July this year, yeah, new yeah, one yeah. called Primitive God. First of all, how are you able to make so much music without ever making any bad music? That's my first question. <laughs> well, the thing is with these new records, first of all, thank you very much for the accolades. It's funny. I do this stuff at home really in a vacuum. I'm not playing yeah. it live um, and I'm working alone, which I love, but um, I have two friends, Pete Droge, who was a singer songwriter in the nineties and still is. And my friend Mark Heberlein, who is a massive music collector and an English teacher, mm -hmm. and Pete kind of takes care. Of the, well, they both give me feedback on big batches of songs. Right now, Mark has something like 82 songs that he's working on feedback for me. Wow. Uh, like he'll listen. Mark is an English teacher, like I said, and a collector. So he listens in the context of of the world of music and the lyrics and like, what's my intention? What picture am I painting? Yeah. It is more of a guy who hears sonic, like too much tambourine or hi-hat yeah. or, or too much low end or something. More technical. Yeah. yeah. They're kind of my like co-producers in a way, even though they're not in the trenches every day, but they're giving me feedback. So it's, I do a lot of editing and work toward making these albums the best I can do. Um, I kind of pretend, I like to pretend when I make these new albums that I'm, you know, Billie Eilish level. <laughs> and the whole world is waiting with bated breath for my new album. Yeah. So it kind of like puts the pressure on me to kind of, when I'm in the finishing stages to really like, is this the best it can be? Is that solo like the right solo and stuff like that. Um, but then in reality, I have no pressure at all. Yeah. You know, I'm like a hobbyist now. I'm like a guy who goes into his woodshed and on the weekends and makes chairs. Yeah. So I kind of have a little mantra. It's like, nobody cares. I'm just making chairs. <laughs> I temper that with like, everybody cares, uh, you know, and it should be the best it can be. So yeah, it's, it's like those self-inflicted deadlines, but really it's just yeah. to help you stay focused. Yeah, to help me stay focused. Yeah. Um, and sort of, I find that I need time since I'm working alone the two albums a year, I thought this year, I'm like, oh, I should do three because I'm sitting on 80 songs that are almost done. But, you know, I'm like, no, I need to let them like the way, you know, alcohol ages like wine. I, yeah, they have to age. They have to I have to live with them for six months, you know, and, and forget yeah. about them and then hear them again. So it's a fun ex it's a fun like. I feel more like a, I went to art school and I feel more like a painter or a sculptor these days than a yeah. performer. In fact, I'm kind of. Uh, retired from performing for the time being. Yeah. I'm not doing yeah. it. I was real. I realized during the pandemic, I felt really relieved when I didn't have shows. And I started exploring that, like, why do I feel so relieved? And I realized like 85% of doing live shows was, is stressful. You know, 15% yeah. yeah. is orgasmic and amazing yeah. and like, transcendental and all that. But I just wasn't willing anymore to go through the 85% that was hurting my nervous system. <laughs> For sure. I mean, if there was like a teleportation and like something's, you know, it's already set up, you don't have to worry about it. And you could just teleport right on stage. You'd be like, that's fantastic. I'll do this all the time. <laughs> yeah, right. No sound check. Sounds perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the nice thing about the Casper thing is I brought my own sound system and I worked it out. So it sounded really good. And uh, so yeah. I, I, I reduced some stress and it was just me. So I wasn't dealing with asking band members if they could make the shows and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I've always said that 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 trying to get people in a band to show up for even like a band practice is like herding cats. It's it's like wow. I just want to yeah. play music. Does nobody else want to play music anymore? Okay, I guess I it's know. just me then. 
I mean, that's a big revelation is I really feel like I, mean, I started out life with my boombox and my mom's boombox doing sound on sound back and forth alone, like the thrill of being alone in my bedroom, playing with recorded music and screwing around with it. That's the foundation of who I am as a yeah. creator. The whole yeah. being in a band thing was great live, but we were presidents were very confused by the studio. We didn't know how to use the studio. Are we trying to capture yeah. what we did live? Are we trying to be like, you know, the Beatles during Sgt. Pepper's and really use all the colors in the paint box. And that kind of didn't work because it kind of took away the fundamental energy core of the band. And, but working alone, uh, I absolutely love just be the science, the, you know, the, the uh, mad scientist, uh, you know, vibe of being. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then my just wife. Miss, just there. missing the crazy hair. That's all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally missing it. It's all on the inside. All the crazy yeah. hair inside <laughs> goes backwards. My brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, just to touch on what I'm doing now, it's like thematically, I really wanted to keep making stuff that was good for people who are stressed out, mm -hmm. but I kind of wanted to broaden it to everybody who's stressed out. So I'm trying to make this music that's kind of engaging on a pop songwriter level in some ways, but also kind of, um, kind of, uh, uh loop, loop oriented or uh what's the word i'm trying to come up like with ambient uh, kind of thing yeah ambient like the first idea i had was i've been making ambient music for meditation for many years and giving it away on my website for free mm -hmm. dot org, and yeah. uh put a chiron uh <laughs> and uh so I, I was like what can i put a beat to that stuff and maybe do some sort of you know lyrics of some kind and i tried it and it didn't really work it turned out i needed to kind of approach it from a different angle but um yeah it was uh, it's really kind of thematically and lyrically about this, you know, journey of trying to figure out how to be a healthy human, how to relate to your ego, to your um, inner inner dialogue and chatter, and you know, perception. Like, you know, a dog thinks we are um, deficient because we don't have a dog's nose. Where we look yeah. at a dog and have, like ideas about perception and being alive and death and birth and the cosmos and all these stuff, you know, like big ideas. So it's fun. It's fun because I'm writing more impressionistic lyrics, like sure. about feeling, which is a whole different thing from painting a picture with a story, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's a really thrilling, like freedom. Like I'm, I'm, I'm loosened up to be more uh, abstract and kind of coded with the lyrics. And that's sure. super so I want people to be able to put this stuff on and they can either really listen to it for bells and whistles and maybe some interesting chord shifts, or they can zone out, put headphones on or put it on in the room and fall asleep like that. Yeah. When I'm working on listening to an album sequence for these new albums and I fall asleep, I'm like, I am on the right track. Yeah, it's, so. it's funny that you mentioned that because I know that you noted Brian Eno as one of the kind of influences. And he actually had a quote that said ambient music must be be must be able to accommodate many levels of listening attention without enforcing one in particular. Mm -hmm. It must be as ignorable as it is interesting. So you mm -hmm. kind of just explain that. It's like you could sit back and not listen to it, or you can be super hyper-focused on it. Either way, it sounds incredibly great. And I think, you know, anything like Mozart to Pink Floyd, th these <laughs> things work just as well, right? And it's yeah. it's kind of this, it's this weird mix that just, when, it, when I hear stuff like that, that's kind of like my favorite style of music. Pink Floyd is still my favorite album or a rock band of all time because they have that ability to literally you could just sit there and be working or you could be intently focused and trying to learn the song. And you're like, this is incredible either way. Yeah, yeah. Like money is in, you know, seven, eight time or something. It's a weird time signature. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, it's not like saying, look at me, I'm wacky, I'm jazzy or whatever. It's, uh, it. I don't know, it's genius because it... Um, it's immediately accessible, but it's also got a layer of you could nerd out to. You yeah, know? exactly. So, yeah, that's the, I mean, I'm a massive Brian Eno fan. Can I swear on this program? Absolutely. Okay, because Brian Eno told me to fuck off one time. So that, <laughs> that's my Brian. My, one time I was in the same airspace as Brian Eno, he told me to fuck off. Well, that's why he was listed as last on the influences, though, right? Yeah, and you could you could add number two spot, Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was giving a lecture at Mass College of Art in Boston, and I was walking to the auditorium, and he was outside the do double doors to the auditorium, talking to somebody that he obviously knew, like a conversation. And people were kind of trickling up and tapping him, like saying, "Oh, we're so happy to see you. Thank yeah. you so much 
your big influence and then moving on two or three people did that and i was kind of the next to try it you know and i was like no, i'm just gonna do it i'm just gonna give him a little accolade moment and uh he just turned to me and was like would you please fuck off i'm trying to talk to my friend <laughs> okay i was like four is enough i guess <laughs> yeah 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 but i kind of like that brian you know told me to fuck off it yeah. it's, it's a better story than you know shaking his hand <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> So I do want to talk about a couple songs and, and about your songwriting. So a couple of these songs on this are really, really hooky. They have mm. really catchy hooks. So like California Frown, Cold Cold Sheets, Tenderest Love. These are really, really, really good songs, in my opinion. I really like California Frown. And I noticed somebody actually mentioned on the YouTube comment that uh, they were a big fan of the When the Hipsters All Need New Hips line. Need I was like, hips. that's hilarious. Like, that's a great line. Um, yeah, yeah. But I'm just curious because, you know, I, I think you kind of got this from busking, but you you really know how to write a catchy hook. I think it's like your superpower as a songwriter is you can write a hook that gets stuck in people's heads for days, months, years, like decades. Like I said, Dune Buggy, I still get that stuck in my head for no reason. Like I hadn't even heard the song lately. So like <laughs> kind of talk about how you're putting this together when you're writing it and how this you know superpower of yours is kind of making these songs just like just like these pop songs, but for yourself kind of thing. Yeah, it's interesting because it's different too in uh, the early stages. The Presidents and Casper early stages is more of a vision of a scene or anthropomorphized, like I'd write a song about Little Cuppy or something, you yeah. know, <laughs> physical thing that gets anthropomorphized or a vision of a funny situation. Whereas now I'm really like um, a receiver. I'm kind mm -hmm. of more like, I have a song on my first record called Radar Mine, and it's kind of mm -hmm. about how I've just kind of become like a, a radar dish for impressions. And um, some of it comes from, I'm really into Ram Dass. Ram Dass yep. is a spiritual teacher guy, but he's very human, um, very down to earth and rooted in being a human being, but also like really good at helping people navigate that, you know, being in this spacesuit that we're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so a lot of the ideas I've already had, I'd listen to Ram Dass and they would be supported or described or expounded on. And I did art, visual art for a while based on these, you know, negotiations with my ego and my inner selves and stuff sure. like that. So kind it's like all a Rorschach painting of your own image. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're yeah. kind of like that. They're black and white and they're on my website. Yep. .org. Yep. Um, you could say a little louder, chrisbaloo.org. ChrisBaloo.org. There's a whole bunch of, <laughs> on a side note, before we go on, there's a whole bunch of old music, old cassettes that I put up for free there. There's yeah. ambient music. There's this crazy stuff. So, yeah. you know, it's the all drafts, free. all that stuff are on yeah. there. So, yeah. All free to be downloaded and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's really impressionistic or it is something somebody describes to me that's funny. Like, so California Frown, um, I was hanging out with some friends. We get together every so often and we listen to music and talk about music and, uh, we were doing a night where we were listening to Elliot Smith and um, uh, we were talking about the sound of his records and Jack, my friend who brought in the Elliot Smith music to listen to was like, yeah, there's typically what's called a California smile, which is where you yep. take a, a, a multi-band EQ and the bass and the treble are high and the middle is scooped out, right? That's yeah. more like Yacht Rock, Christopher Cross, you know, kind of smooth sound, uh, sure. Doobie, uh, not Doobie Brothers, um, you know, people like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, and so he was saying that Elliot Smith's idea was more to do the California frown, which is you knock out the bass and the treble and you, you arc it. So the mid range is featured, which I love. That's my favorite thing. But then I started thinking about California frown is kind of a metaphor maybe for when you're not, when you're supposed to be behaving as if the whole world is at your feet and everything's great, but inside you're, you're sad. Kind of like how yeah. I was with the presidents, I guess. Yep. Um, at, at certain points. So anyway, I tried to make it about all like California is like this, this beautiful place that's also falling apart and, you know, yeah. hipsters need new hips and yeah. <laughs> you know, life goes on. Everybody's human, but it's in the context of this like joyous, like psychedelic, beautiful yeah, I, I definitely felt like it was a little bit more personal, too. And a couple of those are uh, Cold Cold Sheets is, you know, obviously the end of a relationship kind of song or kind of actually, actually, it's funny because that one is so as I'm writing like radar mind impressionistic kind of stuff, I'm also kind of just, you know, open to a funny idea for a song falling out of the sky. I woke up one morning, my wife had gone to work at the uh, 
Park Pike Place Market where she sells her artwork. Sure. And uh, she'd gone for two days. She stayed with a friend in Seattle. We're on an island called Vashon Island. So she stayed in town. And I woke up and I literally felt where it would be warm if she had yeah. just got to get her coffee and it was cold. And um, that's where the song came from. And the riff in the song, boom, 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 boom. I wrote that in 1983 on a wow. synthesizer. And it, it kind of had a home for a while as a song, but uh, I didn't really ever like the song. So I um, sampled myself. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've done that a couple of times. I'm like, I wrote terrible lyrics to this awesome beat or yeah. awesome, you know, riff or whatever. And I'm like, I'm going to redo that because this is trash. That's a lot of what this new thing I'm doing is about, too, actually. I'm finding that thematically what I'm working with right now is totally what I worked with in the early 80s when I first got synthesizers and guitars and started writing songs. I was trying to be this like sort of conceptual new wave groovy stuff, but I didn't I didn't have equipment. I used to sing with a fake English accent. <laughs> I'm really, Robert Smith. <laughs> oh my God, so embarrassing. But I... Uh, would go i go back and i listen to those songs i'm like and that i was like okay that riff that's a golden nugget i'm gonna upset it yeah. stop. or that lyric or that intention there's a song on i think it's on uh primitive god it ends with a song called venomous blue is that right, yeah. right uh, i think it's it's towards the end if it's not the end yeah the last song that song it was one of the very first songs i ever wrote but it was called cadillac blue and it was kind of an anti-suburbia gotcha. uh, like, new wave psychedelic punk rock you know, screw you to suburbia. Yeah. Uh, and it's just terribly recorded and like my vocals are awful. But anyway, thematically, I kind of took it and turned it into again, like a, well, it's kind of about success. Like the sky is blue, everything's perfect, but it's turned, it's been poisoned by yeah. expectations or not expressing my true needs or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's great. I mean, everything that you've done to this point, I feel like when you listen to the new solo stuff, without even knowing the story that you've just kind of played out, you can kind of feel that within mm. the music. You kind of know that that's the reason why the presidents kind of stopped being major record labels, stopped being in, on the radio and touring all that stuff. And, you know, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's just a way that you've, you've been able to, you know, be DIY for the last essentially 10 years or 12 years or whatever that it to me feels more refreshing than if you had been, still trying to get that record contract. Like a lot of these, you know, played out 90 bands are still trying to do. It's like, we're out here. We're still playing the exact same style of music, trying to recreate ourselves. I'm like, nobody wants to hear this anymore. That's why you're not successful is because you're not adapting what you're supposed to do. So, uh, I mean, I think, yeah, I'm definitely open to chapters starting and stopping in life. Yeah. And, you know, that Casper chapter, it's funny. I was out on the kayak this morning with Kate and I was kind of musing on that. Like, cause we ran into a friend we, we beached the kayak and a friend came out of her house and she's like, oh, you know, we people at the arts center here on Vashon really want Casper Baby Pants to play. And I felt this like, you know, guilt or kind of like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but it yeah. also made me realize that, you know, um, I had this vision and I just followed it and I've had so much energy for that vision. So much, like played hundreds. I played 1300 shows in something yeah. like nine years i was nine years alive active as a live thing and made 19 records and you know just super focused and it's gone like yeah my impulse to do that is gone so i can't fake the true joy i felt it was real yeah. but it's gone in favor of a new form of expression i'm feeling yeah. total joy over this and then who knows what's next you know yeah, like, exactly I don't know. That's why I every time I come up with a little riff or an idea, I record it and put it in my catalog of what I call raw poo, because <laughs> which is also my publishing company name, raw, yep. <laughs> for the president. Um, because you never know. Like if I sit, if I'm sitting here and I start receiving a you know traditional country western song, I write it and then I file it away because who knows? I might I might be moving to Nashville in my seventies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing I will say is that you seem and have always seemed like an incredibly positive person, even when you're in, un, under the stressful uh, situations. What do you attribute to like remaining happy and positive for all these years? You know, it's really the perspective that I've won the lottery simply by existing. Yeah. I realized in seventh grade when we were doing sex, sex education in school, I realized that the egg the month before me and the egg the month after me were not Lost. me. 
And <laughs> they lost. <laughs> they lost. And I won this incredible. Yeah. And all. And then uh, on top of that, my parents had a set of kids in their twenties and a set in their forties. And I was in the forties set. And my mom had preeclampsia, which is like high blood pressure associated with pregnancy. She was yeah. told not to have any more kids after her first. She had a second, and then she waited a bunch of years and had two more. And I was one of the two. So you combine that with the fact that, and it's just so, it's just, I shouldn't be here. This is yeah. amazing. Just being alive and looking at light and the water. And we live now on this island and we have an amazing view and amazing gardens and, and it's mellow and we have tons of friends here. And it, I don't know, I guess I've been through some majorly dark times. Like yeah. I've tasted the underbelly of bad decisions and, reckless living and all that stuff and i guess maybe you know there's an idea that you have to kind of go through darkness to get to light um, yeah. if you try to deny the dark parts they you only give them it's almost like uh, when you dam a river you get more pressure you get more power sure. um, so you have to face and experience your darkness to get to your lightness and i think i've done yeah. battle um for a lot of years and i'm i'm not you know, fully Mr. Light. I've still, I, yeah. yeah, I have anxiety issues uh, during the pandemic. They came out and I, they, I had, when I got divorced in 2005, I had major panic attacks and I'm no stranger to therapy and working on myself and, um, you know, uh, reading and writing about the human condition. I guess it's all toward reinforcing and maintaining that perspective that this is a gift to just yeah. be here. And then to get to have, a voice as a musician and and in and send it out to other people like encapsulate myself in a song form send it out it gets decoded by another brain they feel something and hopefully they feel what i feel when i think about being you know pure light and energy and how liberating yeah. it is so that's kind of also the hope in making this new music is that i can kind of um I don't know, shed light on that struggle a little bit, not shy away from darker themes and, and uh, minor chords and, you know, heaviness, but also temper it with lightness, like, you know, uh, songs that uplift and down, Absolutely. uplift like and down drift. <laughs> the music is medicine for the soul right there. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It's it definitely for me, like yeah. also the, what I said before, like, I feel like a hobbyist is a core idea of the whole thing because sure. I'm doing this really to make today, Wednesday, July 27th, better. Like I'm, I'm writing a song. I was doing my morning stretches and breathing. And I looked up at this window and there was a wasp on the window. And I was thinking like, what is that wasp experiencing? <laughs> it can see the whole world. And all of a sudden there's this window that's preventing it from flying into the world that it already knows. And yeah. I'm like, whoa, I think that's something metaphorical about, you know, being a human and having a feeling that there's more to it, but not being able to get through the glass, you know? Sure. And so I'm, today I'm writing a song called Wasp on a Window, and um, it's just making today really great. That's awesome. I <laughs> That's can't wait I to hear it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I can play it here. I'll play a second part of it right now. Wait a second. Hold World on. exclusive right now. Oh, yeah, I'll just play it. <laughs> I'll you get for free <laughs> nice that's very cool very very cool yeah well i mean i could sit here and talk to you all day chris i i wish i could just you know sit and sit on a porch and just talk with you all day but i know you got things to do i want to respect your time I, you. I know you know obviously the new album is out now we'll put a link yeah. to the chris people it's free you can go download it you can stream it absolutely free it's great also, it's also on all the platforms yeah all you know, the regular you, platforms yeah. that you'd have where you um, and steal music <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can't steal it if it's given away for free. So exactly. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, anything else that you want to plug before we go to uh, today? Like you want to talk about? I mean, obviously, you've got the new album. You've got anything else that you have coming up? I know you're not going to be touring, but maybe yeah. something else that you got on the horizon. 
uh, you know, I'm going to be having lunch at the country club here. I've never been to the country club on Vashon for lunch. I'm hoping for like a classic poolside cheeseburger. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. That's something I like. <laughs> is lunch, which will be happening in probably 30 minutes or so. So join Very me. Cool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even though you will get this message like five days late, but it's you'll you'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, one last question before we go to do you have any new music that you'd recommend people check out? Oh, yes. My son just apparently is going to be the drummer for the live band version of this solo artist named Marlo Mudd. Okay. I really, really like, um, you know, mellow, gentle acoustic stuff. Um, there's a band that just destroys my soul called Junip. Absolutely get a, a there's an album called Fields that is incredible, super inspiring as far as what I'm doing now. What I'm doing now is really inspired by Junip. It's inspired by like, you know, the Spaceman 3, a band yeah. from England called Loop. Um, there's a band called Moon Duo that super inspired me. Um, all the way to like the Stooges, that kind of like fuzzy. Sure. Heavy. But um, yeah, so, and then the lead singer for Junip has a whole solo career. His name is Jose Gonzalez. Absolutely great. His latest record, um, oh God, what is it called? El Invito, I believe is fantastic um but he did a record uh, this is the one okay two records everyone should hear junip fields and uh jose gonzalez live in europe with the string theory those are okay. the, those are the two and then very cool then listen to primitive god by me yeah. and <laughs> all kinds of connections yeah if you only, if you only listen to two albums this year make it these two and then if you're gonna listen to three make it this one yeah yeah if you stop <laughs> if you stop at two then great <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right. I want to thank you so much, Chris, for being here. It's been an awesome pleasure to have you on the show and have a conversation with you. We'll put those notes, those, those links to every, all the music, your music, uh, all the cool. Junip and all these other ones below the episode. So make sure to go check it out, guys. I don't think you can possibly go wrong with anything Chris writes. So you can even go check out all the other bands, Egg, The Giraffes, all that good stuff, yeah. Casper Baby Pants, all that stuff on chrisbaloo.org. And guys, remember, the Powered by Rock podcast is powered by our listeners. If you want to show us some support, some support. Please be sure to subscribe and share the podcast on social media. You can also make a donation of the podcast to help us keep making awesome new episodes with awesome guests like Chris here. You can find that link in the notes as well. You can see the full video inter uh, interview on our YouTube and Spotify now as well. If you want to check out some articles, album reviews, list interviews, go to poweredbyrock.com. We actually did an, uh, an, art uh, an album review for Primitive God. You can go check that out on our absolutely free rocking blog. Find our merch and gear as well so you can pick up some items to play and look like a rock legend. That's our show for today. Until we see you soon for the next episode, rock on.